Welcome to another edition of the Roar of the Lions UK podcast, episode 236, Getaway Car. My name is Matthew Turner, alongside Ashley Soden. How you doing, man? I'm doing all right. It's a bit cold over here in the UK now. Got bundle up warm, but we are hopefully this game, there's some optimism that can put some warmth into me after the cold despair of the past two weeks or so. Feels like a long time since Lions Packers already. So True, yeah. <laughs> we need to we need to get right. Fingers crossed that we do. Oh, thank you for changing the name of that because I completely missed that. Um, yes, November 30th today, and we're gonna be joined in about 45 minutes' time by our friend TJ Jones from State of the Saints podcast from Gumbo Pot Sports. He joined us for the draft. If you didn't catch it, he was a fantastic guest, very knowledgeable, very passionate. Can't wait to have him back on. So looking forward to that later on in the show. Of course, we are previewing the Saints game. We're gonna go through some news. We're going to talk about the Saints ourselves, and then TJ is going to come in and give us the expert analysis right at the end of the show before we answer, as we always do, some of your questions off the air after the audio pod is finished. And if you want some extra time with us, you have to go on to our YouTube and Twitch channels for that, or you can watch them on replay too, of course. Uh, but first, some preamble. Don't forget to join our Discord channel. It's a fantastic place to be. It's really become a, a great community of people that I'm I'm happy to be a part of. We are very active in it. And if you want to come and chat with us, the links are in the YouTube and Twitch chats right now. College Football Podcast will be coming up, I hope, soon. But I know that Anna's been really struggling because he works as a, in, the, in the restaurant and bar industry. And it's coming up to Christmas that it's super busy right now for him. So stay tuned for that. Obviously, Championship Weekend is coming up this weekend, so the preview for that will be here shortly. Uh, please don't forget to like the show, sub to the podcast, all of that stuff. We're now up to 1,400 subscribers on YouTube, which is such a big milestone for us. And thank you, everyone who does. Just click the button for that, even if you don't watch us on YouTube, whatever it is. The figures do make a difference. They do put us in front of more people, and it is just a nice little boost for us as well, personally. Um, Lions Nation Unite, please don't forget to add them on their Facebook group. It's Herman Moore's project to bring the best in Lions content creators together. You can find them on their page at facebook.com slash Lions Nation Unite or facebook.com slash groups slash Lions Nation Unite if you want to be a fan of the page or be a part of the group itself. As mentioned, YouTube and Twitch, monetized on both. Also got a tip jar in the YouTube description. So if you are enjoying what you're listening to, you want to show some love in that way, we massively appreciate that. But listening is, is more than good enough for us. And there's a feedback form down in the YouTube chat tube, uh, YouTube description as well. So if you want any um, way to get in contact with us, to improve the show, suggest content, all that stuff, that's down there. And finally... Our merch store is open, as you can see, Ash demoing the cap, myself with the beanie, which is actually affecting my sound. <laughs> so I might take this off <laughs> in a minute, but there we go. You can find that all on the store. Link is in the chat for that too. If you want to buy a loved one something for Christmas, you know where to go. Right. News. 
And Ash, our first bit of news feels like deja vu. Wide receiver Tom Kennedy is back. He's over his injury. He, of course, was in camp, got injured, went on injured reserve, was eventually waived with the injury designation and got himself an injury settlement, didn't get re-signed anywhere else, waited his time, waited another three weeks, and he's back. And Dylan Drummond has been released to make way for him on the practice squad. Drummond's, we were really high on during the preseason. It seems like nothing's really come up. I think from memory, he was elevated once, but didn't really do anything in that time. And now Kennedy's back. And I, I know that you had a really good comment on, on Discord about him and, and the reasons why they might want to be doing this. Yeah, so firstly, yeah, Drillian Drummond, I hope he can come back next off-season because we all forget, if we forget, he was supposed like our second best receiver in preseason behind Amon Ra. Like, he had a real connection with the QBs. He was getting open consistently with that route running. So for someone who wasn't even a UDFA, he was, like, brought in for sort of, like, the rookie camp as a local tryout, managed to impress his way into being to camp and sticking around on our practice squad for this long. Fair play to him, and hopefully he can come back next offseason, as I say, and maybe stake his claim again. But with Kennedy, it comes down to consistency and reliability. Like, that's what Tom Kennedy is for us. He's the kind of guy that you can stick out there. He will never do probably do anything spectacular other than throw absolute bombs to, to Khalif Raymond on flea flickers, as we all know. Hopefully we can pull that play back out of the playbook after we tried to run it with Amon earlier this year and it went completely tits up. But Kennedy is the guy that if you need him to if you need to throw like a 10-yard hitch, he can catch it. And that's what we need at this time of year now, where we just need that sort of we know what we're getting from the players. It's what we saw a few weeks ago with a couple of the uh, practice squad moves. We're bringing in uh, Michael Schofield in the corner, for, uh, Kildo, uh, Kindle Vildor. Because they've been there, done that, the team know what they're going to get out of them as we push towards trying to win the division, lock up a really good seed in the playoffs, and then go into the playoffs and hopefully win some games. The team needs that sort of consistency rather than the variable of outcomes that Dylan Drummond can get. Uh, so... Obviously, Tom Kennedy is now the third thing that's there, along with death taxes. And it's Tom Kennedy being on our team, it seems. A couple of years ago, it was Don Muleback, who obviously is now the special team. Like, something to do with special teams on the team. He's sticking around. Now that's Tom Kennedy. And he'll probably be here until the leg, his legs fall off, basically. Yeah, the thing about Tom Kennedy is he's he's always unremarkable, but he always kind of performs when he's out there as well. And I mean, I remember him being on the main roster. Was it the beginning of last season? Um, it was. It was the beginning of. Oh, it might be in the beginning of last season. Actually, let's let's see. So last year he had eight catches for 141 yards, and I think most of them came in one game. If I remember Probably, rightly, yeah. um, uh, I need to bring up. He, I, sh I should really have tried to bring this up before I started talking about him, but you know, that's never been was... my strong point. So he went three of five for fifty-four against Seattle in that forty-eight forty-five loss in Week Four. He had uh, one catch on two targets for forty-four yards against Chicago in the thirty-one thirty win. Like they're not massive plays but in the context of not having anyone else to take those reps 
He yeah. can be that sort of reliable blanket. And I mean, 44 yards of catch, only one catch, 44 yards. I remember that big play. It was huge in the context of the game. I think it might have given us the game, in fact. I think it might have solidified the whole thing right at the end. So you know what you're getting with him, and it's someone who's going to run the right routes. And actually, he's a preseason warrior for a reason, because he's better than a replacement-level player. But he is a replacement-level player himself, if you know what I mean. He's a yep. replacement-level wide receiver who is much better than replacement-level DBs. That's how I want to play. Yes. Yeah, that yeah, that makes sense. And obviously, he is athletic. Like, we're talking about a former lacrosse star here who just conferred. Like, if he, and I hate putting it out there, if he was on, like, the Patriots, when the Patriots used, had a functional offense, I will precursor but he's the kind of sort of like Damian Adola, Julian Edelman of the world where if he's in that system everyone will know about him because they just seem to work well in that system but because he's obviously he's not he's with us and until roughly this year we weren't really getting many eyes on us we can uh he's just kind of kind of under the radar like he he sniffs of someone like if we, he sticks around the practice if we elevate him a couple of times I hate to say it, the Chiefs might come sniffing. Like we've seen it today, they've signed yeah. one of the Cardinals uh, running backs off their practice squad, kind of like how they last year they signed. God, I should remember this. The veteran uh, Melvin Gordon. Mm-hmm. It might be a kind of yeah. he might turn into like this year's Melvin Gordon for the Chiefs where he comes in. He might be a bit better than some of the receivers they're chucking out there right now. So hopefully we can get him to stick around at least for us so he can help us in the playoff push rather than giving Patrick Mahomes a reliable person to throw to who's not called Travis Kelsey. Yeah, he'd instantly be one of their best wide receivers. And I think it's just because he's an unfancied name that no one really knows and he's been on our practice squad forever and hasn't played that much that, you know, why would anyone notice him? But hopefully, hopefully he does well enough. And actually, I hope he does garner some attention because it means he's done something for us. Anyway, Next bit up is the quarterback, Hendon Hooker's 21-day clock was activated and he practiced for the first time on Wednesday. This means that if he is not signed to the active roster three weeks from yesterday, he will be shut down on IR for the rest of the season. Now, Ash, for me, I don't necessarily think he will be activated. I think this is them saying we've seen him not with the team enough doing the sort of physical stuff without actually working out that we believe that there's no limitations now. So we need to see him with the group. And because they've got the insurance of having a QB2 already, if he doesn't get activated, it's no different from what they've had the last 12 weeks. But what they're doing is they're saying, okay, but if this works and we've got a little wrinkle of something to bring to the playoffs, a properly mobile quarterback who can perhaps shows something that no other team has seen from us yet this season. And that's going to be interesting. And also, they just want to see him. But there's a lot of fans out there who think that this could be... You know, it's coincided very well with Goff not having a great run. There's lots of calls for, you know, maybe this is the start of the transition. And, I mean, at 8-3, and three, I just... I don't buy it. How far are you into sort of buying into this? I'm halfway there kind of so i know i said on discord when it was in the, uh announced yesterday that was like i can see him being activated and then us using the third qb rule to sort of have him there where okay we might we won't have to have him active on game day but at least he's getting experience because as he i think he was saying to colton pouncey yesterday when he was interviewed in the locker room afterwards he has done pretty much everything except for throw the ball like pads on and that because you're not allowed to do that when you're at NFI. 
See, I agree. This is 100% the team seeing what we've actually got him now. Now he's fully healthy. He can do the stuff. Let's get him actual proper functional practice snaps, see what we got. And yeah, if he shows enough, we can add him to the roster, probably kick, I don't know, Trevor Noeske off the 53, and then just use the, the third QB rule and have him there. And yeah, we could have some packages like a certain player we're going to come on to in a bit when discussing a certain team's offense. We can start running some of those packages because where does our head coach come from? And who does uh, and who does Ben Johnson look up to? And he said in an interview, I think it was last year with um, Justin Rogers, Sean Payton. Uh, ben, uh, ben Johnson looks up to Sean Payton a bit. And Dan comes from uh, New Orleans as the tight ends coach, where he had a certain guy called Taysom Hill under his wing for a couple of years. If we start running some of those packages, like it matters, imagine like a two back, a two quarterback set, where you have like Goff and Hooker, like. It will be fancy. It probably it might not work. It might have like a 50% success rate where either you get a big play from it or it goes everything wrong. But it's just that little extra layer of spice that we need coming into the playoffs, that little bit of uncertainty because I know it's probably a bit, it's just looking at this past two weeks and maybe drawing a bit too much from it, but the offense isn't firing on all cylinders right now. It might have been found out a tiny bit and we just need to find that new avenue just to, put that spark of life back into the engine that is the offense. Yeah, I I buy that 100%. The idea of just us running quarterback sweep is just yeah. super exciting to me. And like Hooker is a legit deep arm threat and you know, coming into the playoffs if we get super behind and we need to throw some deep bombs and we want to make the most of Jamo, then him being in there, Khalif and Jamo on the outside, like that Ooh. is a weapon. And you know, I, I I am not against Goff whatsoever. I am still all aboard the train for extending because I think he's shown enough. And two games in the last two years is not enough to dissuade me that he isn't our guy. But yeah. Hendon just provides something that Goff doesn't, and that's exciting too. And they can both coexist. So anyway, let's see what happens with that. And the last bit of news that we have, super exciting for the Lions fans. Maybe not if you are planning to travel to the game in, in three weeks' time, two weeks' time, two weeks' time. But the Lions game against the Broncos has been flexed. It was going to be, I think, Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern, and it has been flexed. It's now on Saturday, December 16th, and it is an 8.15 p.m. kickoff. Saturday night football. Cannot wait for it, Ash. We both had our hearts sank a little bit because of like how it might screw up our day, and yeah. suddenly it might actually be perfect, and it's going to be it's so loud. Well, hopefully not too loud from your friend. I don't want to get in, get you in trouble again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it works out quite well for me. Like I was scared when I saw it. It's like, oh god, if this is the early kickoff because it's the day after my birthday, my family are supposedly coming up. So I was like. Oh no, if I have to kick my family out so I can stream, they're not going to be too happy. <laughs> but yes, it's the late kickoff. I can sort of relax a bit, obviously see my family, get a couple of the bevs in, put myself full of energy drinks, and then hopefully rock out to what might look, might be, what can get forward from a couple of weeks. Might be an explosive offensive battle, which who would have thought that coming into this season? We all thought the Broncos aren't going to be good on offense. Sean Payton might not work out on this defense. Those first couple of weeks, we were like... So this actually, it might be a better game than we thought going into the year, which is probably why it's got flex. Like, it's it's going to be a really good game. Yeah, 
yeah, I can't wait. And I mean, the Broncos have got a tough matchup to get through this week first. And then, you know, they've got the run the gauntlet, but they've done it so far. So you can't yeah. bet against them. It's going to be a fight of two heavyweights this year, which is just nuts to say, especially considering the Denver, Denver Miami game. Like going back oh, to that, God, I'm yeah. thinking the Denver could get in the playoffs is just ridiculous. But there we go. Right. Let's kick off this Saints preview. We've got about 30, 35 minutes to go until TJ is going to be on the show. So plenty of time to go through the stats, talk a little bit about the team, and then we're going to bring him on to talk about the team in depth. So the Saints are five and six. According to Pro Football Reference, they are 5.7 expected wins, 5.3 expected losses. So they are about 0.7 of a win underneath expectation, which I think people might be surprised about because of how anemic some of that offense has been recently. Their game so far this season, they started out 2-0 and with wins against the Titans and at the Panthers, but then lost two in a row at the Packers and then versus Tampa Bay. So four teams out the gate who maybe have not had the best seasons overall and go 2-2 two and two in that stretch. They then Wiped out the Patriots 34 to nothing. I know that our friend Harley Quinn in the chat at the moment was at that game. I think it might be in your birthday as well. So sorry, Natasha, <laughs> to remind you of that one. Um, then fall back to 500 again with a loss at the Texans. And then a loss to Jacksonville put them under 500, but then wins at the Colts and versus the Chicago Bears. And then losses at the Vikings and at the Falcons put them at five and six. Uh, looking at this game in the betting lines of one, uh, two to one on favorites, Saints are 17 to 10. So in American terms, that would be about minus 150 for the Lions and about plus 170 for the Saints. Lions, that translates to four point favorites on the spread. The over under is 47. Injury report for Wednesday, not out yet for Thursday, but Anzalone did not practice. He is not expected to play, unfortunately. Hooker, Jonah Jackson, David Montgomery, Tracy Walker, all limited with various injuries. A knee for Hendon, obviously. Ankle and wrist for Jonah, we know about. Montgomery with a foot is interesting. And Tracy Walker with a shoulder. Uh, and then Ifati Melifonwu and Frank Ragnow, full practice, but with hand and back toe injuries, respectively. For the Saints, however, the injury report is very interesting. No practices from Cam Jordan, defensive ends, Marcus May, safety, Kendra Miller, running back, Raheed Shahid, wide receiver, and Pete Werner, linebacker. Limited in practice for Jimmy Graham, the tight end. Blake Groupie, the kicker. They have been trying out kickers this week, just in case. Eric McCoy, center. Chris Alave, wide receiver in concussion protocol, but limited in practice, so he is on his way to passing the protocol. Let's see what happens there. And Ryan Ramchick, he was on a rest day, but he is carrying a knee issue as well. Uh, what else do we have here? On injured reserve as well, the Saints are just absolutely decimated with a few big names out there. Wide receiver Michael Thomas, I know that he's been uh, an injury concern basically the last three years of his career, but he had started to do things once again. It's a shame that he's on the sidelines for them. Cornerback Marshawn Lattimore is on IR, so is the defensive end Peyton Turner. Running back, you know, Benjamin and guard Trey Turner. I'll come on to their starters in just a minute. But Ash, they are absolutely decimated by an injury. And if I have a look at who they've played so far this season, I think the best team they might have faced are the Texans. And I'm not sure you would have thought that coming in, but 
In fact, the rest of the way, they're playing Lions, Panthers, Giants, Rams, Bucks, Falcons. As a virtue of being in the NFC South, uh, NFC South they, haven't, they haven't played a quality... T- I mean, the Jags. The Jags and the Texans. But they've not really played... They haven't played a Philly. They haven't played a, a Chiefs, a Baltimore. They haven't been tested yet. Yep. And it's just a look of the draw, I guess. Obviously, we hopefully might get one of those years where we don't have to face anyone hard. But considering where we want to be going with our team, that's obviously unlikely. We're going to be drawing the first seeds in quite a lot of divisions, hopefully going forward. So, But yeah, they haven't really faced anyone. And as you said, their offense has been... Anemic at best, despite Mickey Loomis, their general manager, I believe, saying, oh, yeah, we're in top 10 for getting to the red zone. When you're not scoring in the red zone, that does not mean squats. I mean, I said it on the pre-show, and I know it's a stat that they've said on the Pride of Detroit preview with the Saints reporter, and it's also divisional games. In their three divisional games so far, they've scored two touchdowns. Both of those were against the Panthers, and both of those were scored by a player who's no longer on the team in Tony Jones. They are absolutely dire in the red zone. Like, horrific. We'll come on to it later, especially since the main proponent of that is their quarterback. Um, so we'll probably answer that in a bit. But they're just... Uh, they're slowly but surely biting the bullet for all the cap stuff that's happened. They're slowly hemorrhaging talent. And yet they still believe they're one, two pieces away. So they're trying to draw out that window that's been closed. They're basically like a bee that's been trapped in their house. They're trying to get through the window, trying to get through the window, trying to get through the window, and it's just closed. They can't get through. And until they wake up and smell the coffee and get someone to open that window for them by getting rid of all these big, expensive veterans and just committing to a rebuild, this is all they're going to be. They're going to be perpetually six and ten, Oh, uh, seven and ten. I mean, seven and ten, eight and nine. Where okay, yeah, they can win a few games against their own division, be scrappy that way. But they're never going to compete with the likes of like San Francisco, Seattle, Philadelphia, Dallas, us. They're going to be in that sort of. They're going to be kind of how we were for a bit, where we could be scrappy, we can win a few games, but we were never going to do anything serious until we commit to that rebuild. That's what they need to do. Yeah, I'm in complete agreement. And as we go through this team, there'll be some glaring examples of where there's just wastage. And I, I don't really get what they're trying to do. Let's bring up their starters now. And on offense, I say starters. I just go through the depth chart. So I don't know why I say starters every time. Quarterback, Derek Carr is the starter, backed up by Jameis Winston. You've also got Taysom Hill, who takes, obviously, he has a couple of throws every game, but not very many. Um, and Jake... Hayner back there as well as QB4. Running backs, Alvin Kamara, Jamal Williams, we know him well, and Kendra Miller. Wide receivers, Chris Olavi, I can't say it, Rashid Shahid, A.T. Perry, Lynn Bowden, Keith Kirkwood, and Michael Thomas, obviously on IR. Rashid Shahid not expected to go, I don't think, this week. And Olave is a 50-50 call at this point with trying to pass the protocol. Oh, it looks like he's on the way. Tight ends, John Johnson, Taysom Hill obviously mentioned already, Foster Moreau, and Jimmy Graham. And then the starting five up front, Andres Pete at left tackle, James Hurst left guard, Eric McCoy center questionable, Cesar Ruiz right guard, and right tackle Ryan Ramchek. Uh, you've also got Trevor Penning down there, who's listed as LT3. 
three because James Hurst apparently is LT two, even though he's LG one as well. Um, you've got Nick Saldivieri in there too. Otherwise, it's not a huge amount of depth. Uh, on defense, uh, player base four three. Defensive ends, Cam Jordan and Carl Granderson, backed up by Isaiah Foskey and Tano Passengen, I'll say, as well as Carl Phillips. And then the DTs, Nathan Shepard, Colleen Saunders, Brian Brzee and Malcolm Roach. Uh, the outside linebackers are Pete Werner, Zach Bourne, Nefisul and Ty Summers. Inside linebacker to Mario Davis and DeMarco Jackson. And then the back four, Paulson Adebo, Alonte Taylor, Isaac Gaiden, and Cam Dantzler are the cornerbacks. The safeties, Marcus May, Tyron Matthew, Jordan Howes, and Lonnie Johnson, JT Gray, Ugo Amadi, and newly signed Jonathan Abram. The kicker, as we mentioned, is Blake Groupie. He is a questionable for this one. The punter's Lou Headley, who is also the holder. The returner is Rashid Shahid, so that's a worry as well. Long snacker. Uh, snacker? Snapper. Am I? <laughs> I'm struggling here. You're hungry, is, boy. I am. Is Zach Wood. When looking at that team, Ash, there's a shocking amount of depth in some places and then a weird wealth of depth in others, no more so than a cornerback. Why do you have supposedly four viable guys? Yeah, exactly. It's a bit weird to, yeah, look at the cornerbacks first because that's also another connection we have for this team with uh, Mr. Glenn. I know, obviously... Um, Latimore's on IR, but yeah, they have some really good guys. Like Paul Sandibo had a down year last year, but he's been a damn good corner this year. Alante Taylor's been pretty damn good in the slots. Isaac Yeardham, I know the guy that Pride of Detroit had on TSA said not many people will know him. He's been pretty good. He, like I remember him on the Broncos. Like he was always kind of in that sort of Jerry sort of zone where okay, yeah, he's never going to be a cornerback one, which is why they got Pat Sertain. But he's pretty damn good when you put him in the right positions to play. Cam Dantzler, talented, but just got wasted by Minnesota. Who's surprised it's Minnesota? They either work out really well with corners like Xavier Rhodes, or they just completely ruin them. And yeah, then at safety as well, like Tyron Matthews, Honey Badger, still pretty damn good. Got a couple of turnovers last week. Marcus Merke, yeah, has some off-field stuff, but he was also kind of, always a sort of decent starter, even when he was back in the New York. I remember like, he got tagged one year because he was like he was that good the year before and they didn't want to lose him. Fortunately, they did. Lonnie Johnson, former converted corner from, originally from Hughes, uh, I think he was drafted by the Texans. Obviously, they got he went to the Titans then. Now he's in uh, New Orleans. Jonathan Abram, as a fifth safety, is a guy who, you put in the box and just run defend. He's good. If you wanted him to do any coverage, he's not going to do anything for you. They've got an embarrassment of riches back there at the secondary. And then even linebacker, like Zach Bourne, that's a guy I remember when, in that draft cycle we were looking at as the, uh, the lines because obviously he's that sort of... He would be perfect for the Sam problem that we're having right now because he used to pass rush in college, but he can cover and he can run defend. Love him to be on this team. Demario Davis is... While he's getting on a bit, he's an absolute beast at middle linebacker. Like, he's someone I'm very scared of this for this week, but we should overcome it. Pete Werner, former Buckeye, can do things. Nephi Saul, well, we've got the inside track with him because obviously we've got his brother on our team. We've got the best Saul in the business. And then even up front, like Brian Breezy is your sort of third DT. This is a guy we would consider potentially consider him get 18. 
Like he has a lot of all the talent in the world. Unfortunately, things didn't go his way, Clemson. Obviously, his sister dying and the injury, the ACL and that. But when he's on, he can be absolutely good. I know that more than most as an FSU fan. I've seen him tear our centers apart a few times. But even then, like Malcolm Roach is good. Isaiah Foskey is your sort of third, fourth pass rusher. Again, someone we're considering at maybe 18 at one point in the draft cycle last year. Like this defense is loaded and they've got a defensive head coach with uh, Alan, but it's it started off well, kind of falling down the past couple of weeks. They start to play slightly harder teams. Like I know Jeremy Reisman tweeted like the first four weeks, they were up there with us in terms of DVOA and defense. I think we were fourth, they were fifth. Since then, they've been like 29th. They have not been good. It hasn't been coming together. And it's because they've kind of fallen for the same trap we are, where they're committing a bit too much to maybe to run defence in some parts and not putting their players in the best position because they don't know what... They think they know what their identity is, but their identity was what they were, were four or five years ago when they had Aaron Glenn as, uh, as the uh, secondary coach and they had a few more players that they've now had to lose. Like... CJ Gardner Johnson, for example, ran in that nickel zone. It's they've got talent. They've got talent there, and if it all comes together, it can be a really damn good defense and a decent offense. Hmm. But offense isn't really firing because, to sort of, as we'll come on to probably in a minute with Derek Carr, him and the offensive coordinator just haven't gelled together. Their wide receiver room is decimated. Like I know we're saying. Um, Alave could be 50-50. I'm actually siding him not playing because you really don't want to mess with concussions. This is like his third concussion since he came into the league last year. That's verging on dangerous territory if you start trying to make him play just because you're need a wide receiver. And yeah, the offensive line, that used to be a stalwart of that, this team. And now it's kind of got weaker. Like Ramshek's still a damn good right tackle. Ruiz... I remember him coming out. He could, if McCoy doesn't go, he could slide in at centre. He's done it before. That's what he got drafted for. But it's slowly weakening. It's this again where they've kept the veterans around because they think their window's still there, but it's just really not. And they just need to let go. Like it's, I don't know. Like we'll come, I'll probably come into it in a bit, as I say, with like Car and that. And then just for the special teams, like if Groupie can't go as a UDFA kicker, they signed Austin Seibert to the practice squad. So it's another reunion with yet another kicker of ours. So that's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, right. Um, let's move on and talk about their overall team and then the offense. So they are per PFF the 13th overall team with a PFF grade of 79.7. They're 21st on offense and 8th on defense. I mean, that's backed up very much as well by their points allowed per game, which is 9th with 20.2. So if you're expecting a high scoring game, maybe readjust your evaluation. DVOA, they have an 18th overall, so a little bit lower. Similarly on offense at 20th, but DVOA for defense is a lot lower on 13th overall. Offensively, led by Derek Carr, 244 completions on 372 attempts, 65.6%, 2,535 yards. That is uh, 10 touchdowns, five interceptions, a passer rating of 88.5, quarterback rating, 47.4 and a PFF grade of 67.6. Alvin Kamara lead back, 119 carries for 457 yards. It's 3.8 yards per carry and two touchdowns. Also at the backfield, catching at 54 times on 61 targets for 355 yards, a 6.6 yards of catch and one touchdown. He has a PFF grade of 73.5. Leading wide receiver is 
Chris Alave, of course, it is 63 catches on 103 targets, 771 yards, 12.2 yards per catch, and three touchdowns. He has a PFF grade of 80.7. And Taysom Hill, how can you not mention him? He's only thrown the ball six times, but he's got five completions for 72 yards and a touchdown. He's also run the ball 57 times for 287 yards, which is five yards a carry and three touchdowns. And he's caught the ball 24 times on 31 targets, 214 yards. That's 8.9 yards per catch and a touchdown. How do you even put that into words? Um, and the PF, PFF grade of 73.3. Other good grades, uh, McCoy, the center, 79.7. And Ramchek, the tackle, 76.8. Worst grades in there. Maybe this is why Penning is a backup at this point. 53.5. Cesar Ruiz, the starting right guard right now, might slide over to center, as he said, 52.4. And the backup tackle, Pete, 51.5. Uh, efficiency ratings on third down, they're 21st, completing 37% of the time. On fourth down, they are ninth, converting 57% of the time, but that's only on 14 attempts. And in the red zone, you mentioned this, Ash, they only get touchdowns 42.5% of the time. That is 29th in the NFL, 17 touchdowns on 40 red zone trips. And they do line up primarily in 11 personnel. That's 43% of the time. But they also go um, one personnel, one running back, no tight ends. That's, I can't even read, 18% of the time. They go 12 personnel, 14% of the time. And then 11 with a six offensive lineman, 12% of the time. So they are one of the more varied teams in the NFL in terms of how they come out on offense. And actually, you've got to think that is mainly because of how much they use Taysom Hill wherever they use him. You don't really know where he's going to line up. Yeah, exactly. Like he can line up a tight end, running back, quarterback in the like wildcat. He can line up everywhere. It is a very varied offense. But at the same time, as we said, it hasn't really been functioning that well. Like at least in the twenties, from their own twenty to the opposition's twenty, they're a perfectly functioning offense. As you say, ninth in fourth down conversions, twenty first in third down. That's obviously below average, but. They can do some stuff, but as soon as they cross that 20, as soon as they get into the red zone, the offense just shuts down. They can't do jack it. And I hate ragging on the guy because obviously he is a good quarterback, even though he looks like the guy from Toy Story 1. But Derek Carr as a red zone quarterback is shocking. What we've seen the past couple of weeks with Goff, that is what Derek Carr has been in the red zone for the past couple of years. He just keeps turning the ball over and... Honestly, if I was the offensive coordinator, as soon as you cross that 20, I'm shifting Carr out. I'm putting Taysom Hill at quarterback because he can offer you more. Because obviously in the red zone, that threat of him running could really do some things for you. As another dimension to the what the defense has to put in there for the red zone, it makes it harder for them. They've already backed up in a 20. They don't have that much space to work with. Just add a different dimension to it. So... Obviously, they've got good players like Chris Olave is a really good receiver. Alvin Kamara, what we were what we're hoping Gibbs can turn out to be, minus the Vegas stuff. Don't want the Vegas stuff with Gibbs, please. But that's what we want. And but yeah, Penning, that's a flop of a first round pick. Like they traded up for him, draft him out of Northern Iowa. He already had a reputation for being a bit overexorbitant with his physicality, let's put it that way. And it's coming to bear. Like he's already got 
effectively benched as a first round pick within like a couple of years of being picked. They're putting Andrews P2 isn't good, very injury prone in his career as well. Was a left guard for most of his career, obviously with Torren Armstead next to him at left tackle. And now they're having to push him out there. There's weaknesses on this offense. So like Caesar Ruse as well. I know I said they can slide him over to center when uh, if the McCoy doesn't go, but again, I remember I was trying to go from they have some weaknesses on their front offensive line, which hopefully we can exploit. I'm having to say hopefully now because obviously we all know quite well Hutch can perform, Aline can perform, no one else on that defensive line seems to. We really need to, at least in the past game, run game, we're great. We could stop the run for days on that defensive line. Run a pass game, we can't pass rush to save our lives. Can we please change the schemes to make that happen? I know we've got the sound line back us out for that. It's not working. Do something else, please, Glenn and John Scott. If you can, if you're somehow listening to us, if you are, what the hell are you doing? You should be game planning or running training. Get your asses in gear. But yeah, like they've definitely got pieces on the offense and in the right hands, and with maybe a better quarterback. This could be a really damn good offense. Like Michael Thomas, as much as he's slammed boy, and I was hoping him and CJ GJ will both be healthy because I want to see that fight again. Just them two against each other. They've already had words on Twitter. Bring it onto the football field. Let's see who wins the battle. That's not going to happen, which is unfortunate. But he's really good at possession receiver. Chris Olave is damn good. Shahid is a really good deep threat and punt returner. He's kind. Of, he's in that sort of Khalif Raymond zone of where, if you play fantasy, you might know who he is. But if you're just a, a normal NFL fan and you say to him, "Oh yeah, who's Rashid? Rashid Shahid?" No one's going to know who the fuck you're talking about. But he's damn good. There's pieces there on this offense. And it could be good. It just needs the right offensive coordinator and the right quarterback. And unfortunately, they're tied into Derek Carson. They've got to make some change at offensive coordinator, at least to get something working for him. Because otherwise, that's another huge chunk of money that basically shoved, uh, just shoved down the toilet and flushed. And talking about opening drive woes, we'll come on to the defensive side of this in a minute. But hopefully the Lions can get off to a good start. Because on offense, the Saints have gone in order... Field goal, punt, punt, field goal, punt, miss field goal, miss field goal, punt, 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 punt. They have not scored an opening drive touchdown this season. And in fact, on opening drives, they've only scored six points so far this season. So hopefully, well, I mean, the Lions make a habit of breaking other people's records. So let's not pray. <laughs> exactly. Let's, sorry. I was about to say, sounds like us coming back to the half. Yeah, I know. Tell me about <laughs> it. Right. Let's move on to the defensive side of the ball before TJ gets here very shortly. Uh, they are led statistically in tackles by Demario Davis, the mid-linebacker. Three passes defended, a forced fumble, four sacks, 79 tackles, six tackles for a loss, seven quarterback hits, a PFF grade of 85.8. Spectacularly good from that middle linebacker position. Defensive end, Carl Granderson is is Carl, isn't it? I'm doubting myself now. Please tell yes, it is. Thank you. Um, is the sack leader. One forced fumble, one a fumble recovery, five and a half sacks, 54 tackles, 10 tackles for a loss, 14 quarterback kits, and a PFF grade of 78.5. Cornerback Paulson Adebo is the leading person for interceptions with four interceptions, th- 13 passes defended, two forced fumbles and a fumble, two fumble recoveries, 40 tackles, and a team leading. I'm pretty sure it's team leading. It is a team leading PFF grade of 90.3. And then how can you not mention the safety tyrant, Matthew? Three interceptions and a touchdown scored last week. Six passes defended, 48 tackles, a quarterback hit, and a PFF grade of 77.1. Other good grades in there, Cam Jordan, the defensive end. 
He might be getting on in years, but his production hasn't stopped. 76.7 for him. And the defensive tackle, Malcolm Roach. It is Malcolm again, isn't it? Please tell me it is. Yeah. Thank you. He might be a backup, but he's getting an, a very good grade of 73.1. Poorer grades in there. And you mentioned him as a as a good slot corner, but PFF has him at 50.8, Alonte Taylor. Uh, the defensive tackle, Shepherds, a 50.1. And Brian Brzee, the rookie from Clemson, 45.5. In terms of defensive efficiency, it's where they come to life, apart from maybe within the 20s. But let's see. Third down, they don't allow conversions on 64.4% of the time. So uh, they are fantastic at stopping people getting third downs, only allowing it on 35.6% of the time. Eighth in the NFL. And fourth down, also eighth. But in the red zone, however, 17 touchdowns on 31 trips. That's 45.54.8% if I can read. And that's 19th in the NFL. So they slip away from eighth in third and fourth down to 19th in the red zone. However, I will point out that 31 trips in the red zone is significantly less than the 40 trips to the red zone their offense has had themselves. So they haven't been fantastic in the red zone, but they don't actually often let people into the red zone, Ash. And it's that aspect of things which has me worried because we're actually quite good at scoring out of the red zone, but that's where this defense is, is fantastic. And, you know, the the grades are really high because as you rightly mentioned when we're talking about this team overall, the defense is good. Yeah, it is. And I'm gonna have to I'm sorry, there is gonna be a slight side because a certain practice reports come out and it's decent news sometimes. I'm so sorry for the this side. Um Antelone, Ragnall, no practice, Ragnall's rest. Let's not panic there, please. For uh sad. Uh but everyone else, full practice, a hooker, Jackson, Effie. Monty and Tracy all form practice, which is damn good to hear, especially Jonah, because we've seen what this offensive line is like without him. And coming up against, I know, obviously, some of them have had good grades, especially Brian Breezy. There are pieces on this defensive line that if they can get past it, they can cause damage. Like Granderson, who would have thought he would be the sort of team leader on defensive line when you've got Cam Jordan, who's like, top five, ten edge defender in the league, the past couple of years on there. Like, Maruch, he was someone I was looking at, I remember us looking at in the offseason, maybe someone to sign because of the connections. They've got good players on that defensive line who can stop the run, get after the quarterback. It just has not come together for them. And then, because Mario Davis, Jesus, if we could have him instead of, like, him and Anzalone as, like, veteran guys. I know, obviously, got Jack Campbell, hopefully, he can turn that well. Derek Barnes, Malcolm, who might be the first player to start a, uh, a game on both offense and defense for a team since 1962, which Chuck Bednarik for the Eagles. That'd be a fun fact for me to spew out on Sunday if it happens. But um, Mario Davis is just so good at middle linebacker. I know he's getting, as I said, he's getting up there. He's in his 30s, but that man can read a game like no one else at linebacker pretty much. Him and Wagner, I think, are the best like sort of processing linebackers there in the league. And then, yeah, Debo coming back from a bad year last year. Latimore sort of doing his Latimore thing where he's good in the big games, but as soon as you put him in the little games, nothing shite. But Debo's been pretty damn good this season for them. Like, I'm kind of jealous in a way because he's been getting his hands to, he's getting turnovers. I know obviously Jerry's got a couple of picks, so, and, but he's been making turnovers. And that's one thing that this defense is good at is forcing the turnovers. It's just that the offense doesn't score from them. So I know, I think it was the Bears game. They got five to takeaways from the Bears. 
They scored a total of zero points from those turnovers. Admittedly, one was near the end, so they just deaded the game, just end the game. That's fine. But yeah, they can force turnovers on you, and that's a bit concerning where we've been the past couple of weeks, not pointing any fingers, but a certain quarterback turning over the ball six times in two games. That worries me a tiny bit coming up against them because they can turn the ball over when they want to, as I keep saying. Like, oh, I, I mean, interceptions just, just to highlight, Matthew. they have 20 turnovers this season, the defence. That's third in the NFL. Exactly. It's worrying when we've been where we are, hopefully, as I keep saying, and future Ash, if this proves wrong again, feel free to use like the facepalm gif again. Hopefully we sorted these turnover problems over because that's that's what's really holding us back, especially our offense. And as I say, it's a bit concerning comes against a defense that if they know how to do anything, it's the forced turnovers. So that's something I'm going to be luckily, obviously, we all saw yesterday the awkward clips of like Goff and that doing the cat and mouse drills and ball security. That's something we've got to prioritize this week against this defense. Yeah, absolutely. It's a defense which gives me plenty of cause for concern. And I mean, a couple more things here. Second in interceptions with 14. Second in average time of defensive drive. The average drive, the average amount of time per drive that they're on the field is 2 minutes 29 seconds. Like, that's just nuts. Uh, 5.5 plays per drive, second in the NFL. Uh, Points against 1.62 per drive, sixth in the NFL. This team is just great across the board. The one thing that I did spot is that 23rd in terms of rushing yards allowed. So if we look at, you know, perhaps a little bit more matchup related stuff, and and I know this was going to be left a bit more until TJ had come on, but if there's one way, Ash, maybe the Lions can get at the Saints, it comes with what the Lions regard as their identity, and it's going to be running the ball. It didn't go great last week. Hopefully the Lions can get back right doing what they do best. Yeah, well, I guess it didn't go right last week because we forced ourselves into our hole early and we had to sort of abandon it. But this week, it... Oh. It looks good. Sorry about that, Ash. There we go. We're back. Oh, for God's sake. God damn it, internet. It doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> want to hear my great analysis. I was saying... We had to abandon the run last week, unfortunately, because we got ourselves into a hole. We couldn't really do it. We had to start throwing the ball to catch up. This should be a good game for Monty, for Gibbs, the running ball. Dare I say it, a few Khalif and Jamo end rounds and stuff. Maybe one of the trademark Amon Ra handoffs and like inline. That's where we need to focus. But at the same time, we do need to keep them, obviously, keep them honest, passing the ball. I know their secondary is really damn good, we keep saying, but run the ball and then hit take the shots when we can. Oh, and if I can get my layout correct, because I don't have this automatically set up. But TJ Jones is in the house. How you doing, TJ? Hey, how you doing, man? Appreciate uh, you all, uh, and uh, thank you for having me. No, no, we're really lucky to have you back after we, I'm sure, ruined your draft weekend by having you on with us then. Thank you for coming on, because I know that you've had family stuff to attend to earlier tonight. But yeah, just talk to our blinds listeners who may not have seen you in the draft about you and what you do and the state of the Saints and all the other little bits you have going too. Yeah, um, well, my name is TJ Jones. Uh, I am the host, got to do it, of the State of the Saints podcast. Um. I've been covering the New Orleans Saints since 2018. I'm a, I'm a native of New Orleans. I was born and raised there. 
been a Saints fan my entire life and uh, uh, just do a podcast focusing on my favorite team and I'm um, just happy to be here. Uh, Matt Nash, thank you so much for having me, man. Appreciate it very, very much. We've gone through the statistical analysis and, and you know, just the raw stats of what's going on with the Saints. They're five and six. Their strength of schedule hasn't been the hardest and it won't be the hardest in the, in the rest of your slate. You know, it, it's not the worst looking lineup that you have. So you're five and six. What has been the thing which has defined your season the most? Obviously, the Atlanta game last week really, really hurts. But... Car comes in, marquee free agent signing, because since Breeze, it's not really been quite right. Jameis didn't set the world alight. And he's been up and down too. I mean, it, I, I can't figure this team out because he'd go and score 34 on the Pats. He'd go and score um, 24 against the Jags, 38 against the Colts. But then, you know, last week with a 15 against the Falcons, a 9 against Tampa, it's a very you know, up and down team on offense. Yeah. I mean, they're terrible. Like they're, they're not very good. Like I'm, I'm not one of those uh, fans that just wave the pom-poms. I, I I try to be as honest as I can. They're, they're just inconsistent, you know, um, you know, some, you don't know what you're going to get from week to week. Um, you have games where they'll play the Patriots and they'll, you know, shut the Patriots out or, then the next week, you know, they're getting blown out. Um, it's just a lot of up and down, and they struggle to have an identity. You know, th there's been a big talk uh, this week uh, among Saints fans, you know, because of Alvin Kamara's comments uh, about the Saints not having an identity and Dennis Allen uh, disagreeing with that. But if you look at this team, they have no identity. They do things without any rhyme or reason. It's kind of like one of those things where you try to throw something against the wall, hope that it sticks. And um, you're not going to have consistency like that. And you're not going to win a lot of football games. And to be quite honest with you, Matt Nash, the only reason why we're having this conversation about are they good at all is because they play in a division that's not very good. I mean, the NFC South is a terrible division. And the reason why you have a head coach like Dennis Allen that still has a possibility of keeping a job after the 2023 season is because they play in a division that's, once again, not very good. And you, you're going up against a team in the Detroit Lions who who do a lot of things well. And also, a lot of the things that, that plague you last week and why you got beat, uh, the Detroit Lions do well. I mean, you think about B. John Robinson and Tyler Algier for the Atlanta Falcons. Well, now you got David Montgomery <laughs> and uh, Jameer Gibbs to deal with. I mean, that, it, it's kind of the same thing. So if you couldn't neutralize the Atlanta Falcons and their offensive line, you're not going to be able to neutralize, in my opinion, one of the best offensive lines in football and two very, very good running backs. And I heard you all talking about the uh, the running backs of the Lions, and you're absolutely right. That is going to be the issue, in my opinion, and that's one of the keys to victory to me. Uh, will the Saints be able to stop them? And they haven't shown me that they can. But then the matchup is going to be really interesting because of how bad the Lions' offensive line was against the Packers last week. I mean... Rashawn Gary really tore us a new one and uh, our mm. left tackle really well. So we had a backup left guard. Taylor Decker at left tackle really struggled against him. And the rest of the offensive line under the pressure of it folding down that side just didn't function as a unit at all. So you mm. guys have Carl Granderson, who's having a great year, Cam Jordan on the other side. It feels like that is the matchup of the game to me, because if you can fold that offensive line and your defense has performed this year pretty damn well, 
that could yeah. be the big equalizer, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it can be. But once again, Matt, it's a lot of up and down. Like, I, I, I was listening to you all and I, I heard some of the statistics. But to me, you can't really put statistics <laughs> in play when it comes to the Saints because, once again, the, it, it's a lot of up and down. And, yes, it should be an interesting matchup. And Carl Grandison has shown flashes this season, but it's been games where he didn't show up. And, and, you know, and also when you think about the Green Bay Packers, I mean, that's a divisional game. So it's no secret. Everybody knows everybody. You know, everybody knows how to uh, neutralize your best players. Everybody kind of goes into that game. You don't want to let Amara St. Brown, uh, you know, lose. You don't want to let Jameer Gibbs, uh, you know, hurt you with the passing game and running between the tackles. And I mean, so to me, I, I just feel like that was just one of those games, you know, any given Sunday. But I, I just think when I look at both of these teams, they do a lot of things well. But I, I look at the Detroit Lions. They have a lot of they, they're playing for. Um, they, they have one of the best records they've had in years. And, you know, you're going to sputter down a stretch when you're learning how to be a consistent football team. So I expect for them to play much better. And I expect for the New Orleans Saints to play a little bit better. You know, the fact that you got a lot of people wondering, uh, are they going in the right direction as far as the coaching staff and the uh, leadership up top? So I expect for them to be able to respond because, you know, normally when we have these type of conversations when it comes to the Saints, they seem to respond, you know, a little bit of a reactionary uh, team. You know, when people are saying that they're the worst team in football, they, they find themselves like looking like one of the best. So this should be an interesting game. Absolutely. So coming back to the offense, and I'll talk about the defense in more depth in just a minute. Ash was talking about Derek Carr and his his red zone woes. And what is it about this team, do you think, that makes them quite, I mean, they because they are very efficient. In in between the twenties, but in the twenties, they just don't seem to be able to move the ball. They're prone to big mistakes. The 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 pick six yes uh, last week was was case in point, but that's not the first time something like that has happened this season. Why right. why have they struggled to operate in the red zone? Do you think it, it's just the the inconsistency, and it's also the you know the lack of innovation. You know, if, if you don't change with the times, you're going to get left behind and. You look at some of these teams out here right now, they do a lot of uh, pre-snap uh, pre motion. Uh, they come up with different creative ways to get their playmakers involved. But it just seems like the, the Saints are kind of stuck in neutral. Uh, they they seem back in the past that Sean Payton and Drew Brees type philosophies have worked. And, and, and it, it just seems like they can't get past that. And I just think that when you look at them, yeah, they can move the football. But you also have a quarterback that historically has struggled in the red zone. This isn't something that just happened with the Saints. If you look throughout Derek Carr's career, he struggles in the red zone and has. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where there's this old saying, a Tiger never changes stripes. Like you can put him in a, a different situation, but he's still a Tiger. And this is the thing that has plagued him throughout his career. And unless he really just you know, settles down and realize that this is an issue and really focuses on and focus on it, then you're going to continue to have the same issues. Um, there's a lot of talent on this football team, but they've struggled to get everybody involved. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a reoccurring thing under this coaching staff. 
And what do you make about what's going on at wide receiver? Because obviously Michael Thomas is on IR. Olave going through concussion protocol. Looks like he's on track to pass it, but it's, you know, still 50-50 at this point. Rashid Shahid doesn't look like he'll go, and he's been a revelation this season. And then you've got A.T. Perry, Lynn Bowden, who have shown flashes, but maybe they're not the, the, the most safe, low, you know, high floor guys that you can put out there. So are you going to have to turn to kind of heavy sets, running the ball a bit more, tight ends being on the field? What What is the strategy going to be, do you think, if some of these guys are out? Because you've only got five active wide receivers on the team. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be tough for the New Orleans Saints. Uh, you know, they're going to have to find uh, ways to move the football down the field. I mean, of course, you know, Chris Olave, before he uh, left the game with a concussion, he went over 100 yards, and that was in the first half. So it seemed like he was trending in the right direction. Uh, you lose uh, Michael Thomas in the game versus the Minnesota Vikings uh, in week 11. But, you know, that's that's the thing. You know, you you have some young, talented uh, players uh, on your practice squad, but you're going to have to find ways to uh, move the ball and, and and rely on on individuals like Alvin Kamara uh, getting Juwan Johnson involved. Uh, they're going to have to find they're going to have to find a way. And, and some of these younger guys are going to have to step up um, in, in order to make this game competitive. I, I think that they have a lot of young, talented guys. You know, I think their biggest issue is they they struggle to try to get these guys involved. And that's one of the main reasons why I feel like a lot of people don't know how how good they can actually be. So the Saints have to do their due diligence and uh, try to find ways to get some of these young playmakers involved to see what they're made out of, and maybe they can live up to their true potential against Detroit. So from the sound of it all, does your do your problems, do you think, stem them primarily from coaching on offense rather than personnel? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that this coaching staff, um, you, you got a lot of layovers uh, from the, you know, the Sean Payton, Drew Brees era. Uh, P. Carmichael, the offensive coordinator, has been with the team for 15 seasons. Uh, you have uh, Dennis Allen as the head coach. You know, he's uh, been with the team for quite some time, two stints uh, as a defensive coordinator now with the head coach. I, I just think that you have some guys who are, you know, they, they, they know what they're doing. You know, as far as uh, Dennis Allen, great defensive mind. Uh, P. Carmichael, I think he understands offense. But I also think you have some guys that, that mostly play like behind the scenes guys, not really the, the individuals you want in leadership roles. And I also think that they're, they're more of the coaches that are recipients of great quarterback play. Like, for example, if the Saints had Tom Brady as their quarterback, I, I think that <laughs> they'll be OK because they, he can be able to rise above coaching. But when you look at some of these individuals like the Derek Carrs, uh, like some of these other young wide receivers, you have to have a coaching staff to develop those guys in order for them to, uh, you know, live up to that true potential. Uh, uh, another example, like think about Christian McCaffrey um, in his last years with the Carolina Panthers. It looked like he was uh, going to, you know, maybe retire in the next couple of years. And then he goes with Kyle Shanahan and now he has this resurgence and he looks like the best running back in football. Coaching matters and it matters who is coaching. And I feel like that is why the Saints have been inconsistent. And that's one of the reasons why I feel like some of these younger players haven't really lived up to their true potential. So I think it's something that the Saints may need to uh, look at at the end of the season and, and wonder to themselves, are these the coaches that we need to lead this team for the foreseeable future? But right now it doesn't look like. Ash, any questions for TJ on the offense? So obviously 
Um, but for at least for our team, it starts up front with the offensive line. It's kind of the same. You guys, obviously, I know Eric McCoy. I know he the injury reports just come out and I think he's practiced again. And obviously, you've got Ryan Ramchek, who is one of the best right tackles in the league. That's perhaps not named Penesol. <laughs> but then you look at the other side, and it's kind of not as good. It's, it's obviously I know Andres P is the uh, left tackle. Used to be the left guard next to Aram said have to flex out there when you lose him, unfortunately, to the Dolphins. Caesar yeah. Ariz, who I remember Lions fans being interested in during the draft when he came out as potentially coming to us, obviously playing used to play in Michigan. Right. And then obviously Trevor Penning, like you tried to look for him in the first round. What's gone sort of like what schematically maybe, or is it the players themselves has kind of gone wrong on that left hand side when that sort of right hand side's so good? Like you've got the center, you've got the right tackle. So we reasons to the right guard, but that left side, like, is it because cars holding on to the ball too long? Are the backs not really hitting the holes there? Or is it just something going wrong on that side schematically? That's not letting them live up to their potentials. Maybe. Well, um, I think it has a lot to do with coaching as well, but I will say this about the offensive line. It has gotten better. Um, the first few games of the season, it just wasn't working. I mean, name your, your, your pass rusher, they were getting double-digit sacks. I mean, it, the most mediocre pass rusher was still able to get to the quarterback. I think it is a combination a little bit of Derek Carr holding on to the ball, ball too long, but it was also the fact that Trevor Penning, uh, the, the left tackle that they drafted uh, last year, struggled. And, uh, you know, they had to kind of reevaluate things. They they decided to put Andrews Pete as left tackle. It, it's something that he's kind of familiar with. Uh, if you look at Andrews Pete, He's played all across the line. Um, he, when the Saints drafted him uh, a couple of years back, I want to say 2012 or 2013, uh, you know, he was the left tackle. And, uh, of course, like when Teron Armstead started to develop, they slid him uh, to the guard position. But a Andrews Peters has done a, a pretty formidable job uh, since they've uh, put him at left tackle. And the offensive line has not been the issue um, as of late. I mean, even when – uh, Alvin Kamara has been running the football. He's averaging 3.8 yards a carry. But over the last couple of weeks, uh, he's been getting up there the four or five yards average. But the problem is the Saints have not been able to uh, cash in with touchdowns. So they have to get away from the run. So the offensive line has improved. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, they'll do a, a formidable job. They're going to have to because uh, you all know, I mean, the Detroit Lions, they have some really good pass rushers some young guys that can get after the quarterback, uh, Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, I heard you uh, all talk about Alex Anzalone. He can come on a blitz. He's leading your team in tackles right now, uh, Derek Barnes. So you got a bunch of guys that can that can get to the quarterback. So they're going to have to make sure that they bring their A game because this is this is a really good uh, young uh, Detroit Lions team. And, you know, they, they got to be able to bring it. Well, if you think they can get to the quarterback, can you please tell our defensive coaching staff that? Because... <laughs> yeah, Hutch can, Aleem can, but everyone else just, just seems to be focusing on the run and aren't yeah. really getting to the quarter, which is why we're having to, well, we were having to use Anzalone. It's looking like he's yeah. unfortunately not going to yeah. get to play in his return to the Superdome this week because he's yeah. had a hand injury and his wife's looking like she's going to give birth. So it is going to be a bit more Derek yeah, Barnes than that. Yeah, it's unfortunate because obviously, and that maybe brings on the next question. Obviously, we have a lot of connections between the teams, obviously, Anzalone. CJ GJ, who unfortunately isn't going to play either with his torn mm. peck, he's looking like he's going to hopefully come back around yeah. Christmas time. What a lovely present for the coaching staff to unwrap for themselves in a shiny former in league leader in interceptions. But obviously, got Dan Campbell, who used to be on uh, the Titans coach, assistant head coach, who, and yeah. um, 
Aaron Glenn, so many connections to his team. Do you think that's going to sort of play into this match a bit as in we know each other a bit too well and you're going to get that sort of duke in battle or do you think it's just going to be by the wayside and it's not really going to impact the matchup at all? Um, I think in some ways uh, it, it can it can help that the fact that you understand uh, the coaching staff. Uh, last week, the New Orleans Saints played the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, their new defensive coordinator is Ryan Nielsen. He came, uh, you know, from the Saints, of course. You know, do I think that that played a role last week? No. And do I feel like it, it will play a significant role this week? Probably not. I mean, everybody knows everybody, of course. But, you know, I think it's going to come down to who can play better, you know, who who can make very little mistakes, uh, who can capitalize on if a team does make mistakes and also taking advantage of opportunity. So I, I don't think it's going to play a huge role, but I, I will say this. Um, I'm, I'm very impressed at what I, I've been seeing out of head coach Dan Campbell. Um, I think that the philosophy that he has brought to Detroit, um, it kind of meshes with the whole the entire city. And uh, yeah, I think that the energy that he has come with has really turned that that organization around. And it, it, it's great to see. I mean, looking at a team that has been an underdog for many years, now they're starting to uh, become one of the best teams in football. You got to be impressed with it. But do I feel like, uh, you know, it's going to affect, uh, you know, the fact that they know the New Orleans Saints and they've been on the same coaching staff? Uh, I, I don't. But I think it's going to come down to who's the better team. I'm just having a look and seeing how many sacks we've had this year because it feels like we haven't had many in the last four weeks. We've had 23, which is not great, yeah. I don't think, through 11 games. But yeah, never exactly. mind. And it's like it's we've had and most of those were the first couple of weeks. Like I remember us looking before the Packers game, we've had two the past couple of games, and that was both against Justin Fields. Like mm. it's been an issue. <laughs> yeah, it has been an issue. Turning to your defense then and They've only conceded, you know, the, the ninth most points in the NFL. So they are a stingy defense. And considering your woes in the 20s on offense, you might think that would be giving other teams plenty of opportunities to score. And that just hasn't been the case with uh, Davis just continuing to kind of belay his sort of um, his age because he's playing some of the best ball of his career. Granderson's come on. We talked about him earlier. But Paulson Adebo has, has really taken the mantle. Tyron Matthews has been fantastic, not forgetting Cam Jordan. Some of your backups have been replaying really well as well. What are you know the strengths and weaknesses of the defense that you've seen? Are they schematically getting it right on defense that they're not on offense? Do you think that's maybe part of Dennis Allen having still his impact from the head coaching position on the defense? What What is it about this defense that makes itself special? How does it hang its hat, do you think? Well, if you if you look at it, Matt, I mean, a lot of the numbers that you're looking at, to me, is kind of similar to what you all were alluding to with the Detroit Lions at the beginning of the season, uh, the 23 sacks. You know, it's you know, the numbers are kind of skewed because they had such a really good like, you know, season, you know, uh, opening season, you know, just the first couple games, you know, shutting down the Patriots uh, and, and also being a very, very effective until the offense tries to figure it out. But if you look <laughs> the last three or four uh, games, you'll see that they've been inconsistent. Like in a, in the a first half, I mean, teams have been lighting them up. Uh, they've been susceptible to scrambling quarterbacks, no matter who it is. Um, you know, teams have been able to put points up on them. And it's been very, very little pass rush. I mean, I, I love Cam Jordan. I mean, he's an Ironman, doesn't miss games. Uh, he's in his 13th season. 
I mean, he's not the Cam Jordan that he used to be. And then you have Carl Granderson once again, I mean, a talented guy, but it, it kind of comes and goes when it comes to sack and getting pressures. Uh, this is not a consistent defense. I mean, can they make stops when necessary? Yes. Um, has Paulson Adebo played better? Absolutely. But uh, when it comes down to it, there are things that teams can do to neutralize. I mean, if you look at uh, the Atlanta Falcons last week, over 230 yards rushing against this team. Uh, you know, they did a lot of things in the offseason to try to get faster uh, on the interior. And it, and it has not uh, really translated over the last four games. So that's why I say, like, when you look at running backs like Jameer Gibbs, David Montgomery, there are opportunities where they can actually go out and, uh, you know, make plays and take advantage of the way that the defense has been playing. So uh, I think that a lot of people look at this team and say, oh, they have a really good defense uh, because, you know, like everything that happened at the beginning of the season. But if you look at it now, they, they have not played consistent uh, over the last four games. That surprises me just because of how I feel about the team. And maybe that's just my nostalgia for it, for the Saints generally. They are just that team on defense. Um, but I, I look at it and I just think even the depth is there. We were talking about this before. You know, you've got Cam Dancer and we know him quite well. As, as a backup corner, that's fantastic. And I know Alonte Taylor has been up and down, but he's been a solid player too. You've got Foskey back there. I know Peyton Turner's on IR, but Brazil, a lot of people liked at Clemson. There's just a lot of moving pieces there that I, I really enjoy. And, you know, Jared Goff has struggled over the past couple of weeks with, you know, not just not seeing things or not releasing the ball under pressure, not unlike Derek Carr, perhaps. So mm. do you think in terms of the matchup with the Lions specifically, that the, the Saints match up quite well with them? How do, how do you see that going? Well, you know, when I look at uh, all the things that Detroit Lions uh, do, you know, I understand that Jared Goff uh, has been turning the ball over. I, I want to say what he had, like four interceptions a couple of weeks ago or, or something like that. I mean, but he has 18 touchdowns, eight interceptions. And I mean, he's done a really good job, you know, uh, had that long streak of 384 games where he didn't throw a pick. But I just think when I look at the Detroit Lions, they do so many things well. And you got to give credit to Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator. Uh, he's definitely going to be uh, a top <laughs> a top candidate for some of these head coaching jobs out here. And uh, I just think that they they – have so many different talented guys. I mean, you got Amara St. Brown, uh, you got Jamison Williams. Every time it seems like he get a target, he scores. Uh, Sam Laporta, to me, the best tight end that come out of the draft. And uh, you, you combine that with a lot of talent, you know, that, that they they got from free agency and also the, the talent that they drafted. I think it's going to be a tough matchup for the New Orleans Saints. I, I really do. Um, I think that uh, when you look at both teams, when it comes to the tail of the tape, the tail of the tape will probably tell you that this, these teams are equally matched based on who they have. But I think it's going to come down to coaching and also execution. So how do, do the Saints line up? I just think that the Detroit Lions can execute a little bit better than the New Orleans Saints. And I also think they, despite the fact that he has turn, turned the ball over quite a bit in uh, Jared Goff, I still feel like there's more stability there at the quarterback position. Like, at least, at least you all know that more than likely Jared Goff is going to be able to drive the ball down the field to score a touchdown. Uh, as, a, <laughs> as a Saints fan, I'm, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if Derek Carr is going to be able to get the ball into the end zone. Uh, the last time we saw the New Orleans Saints play, 
I mean, Blake Groupie, their kicker, was the offensive player of the game with five field goals. So I think it's going to come down to that, come down to execution. And I just think that uh, Detroit just has that edge there. I don't know why I've never considered this before, Ash, and maybe you've just occurred to you as well. But with Dennis Allen maybe on his way, why have we not considered Ben Johnson to the Saints? Mm. Exactly. I know. Yeah. Like <laughs> that makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Compared to like the Chargers or <laughs> Patriots or something or the Panthers yeah. or whatever, the yeah. Saints make much more sense. Hundred percent. Like. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I was going to say, I, I'm. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, this is how I feel. Okay. Um, I feel like with Ben Johnson, this, uh, you know, you know, 2024, if he gets the opportunity, this is going to be his first head coaching job. And if you look at the New Orleans Saints, uh, the way that the organization is structured right now, uh, you're basically in cap hell every single year. Uh, you got a quarterback that you're not too sure about. Uh, you're committed to for the next, what, three years? Um, you know, has been, you know, not very good. And then also you have an aging team. Um, you know, I think that when you look at some of these guys who are trying to get their first opportunity as a head coach, they're looking to go into situations where you probably have a top five, a top 10 pick, uh, have some uh, cap money to actually work with. I think when it comes to Dennis Allen, like, yes, I feel like they need to let him go. But I think with the Saints and, and the situation and the position that they're in, I think they need to go with a, a, a coach that's had a head coaching job in the past because they'll be more willing to come in and be able to embrace what's going on and be able to have the patience to fix it. And the fact that the fan base will actually recognize some of these these coaches that will come in, they will understand that this this coach has a pedigree of winning versus a brand new coach who you don't know anything about. I don't feel like the fan base would have that that level of patience for him. So I think that, you know, when it comes to Ben Johnson, I think that the Chargers probably would be a bit better move for him because to me, they just need a they just need a good coach. Like Brandon Staley is is not the answer. And I feel like with all the talent that they have, I think that will be an enticing spot. Uh, Carolina, I don't think that it would be an enticing spot. I mean, David Tepper uh, just basically uses head coaches as a revolving door. So that's that's going to be a turnoff to a lot of guys. Uh, you can also look at Chicago and uh, Iberflu and, you know, like this, different places like that where you have opportunities with young players and a lot of cap uh, money to deal with. So to me, it would be an appealing spot if the Saints had some money to deal with and, uh, you know, a top pick. But I just feel like he probably would want to go somewhere where, you know, you know, people understand that, OK, you know, I'm going to come up in here. I'm going to make an impact. I got some players to work with. So I, I think the Chargers are one of these teams that have a top five pick would be more enticing. Fair. Getting back on topic, because we talked about one side of the matchup, but maybe not the other. So for the Saints offense, it has been efficient in places, misfiring in others, but it's coming into this game facing a Lions defense that is almost bottom of the league in the form table. They are, I think, 29th or 30th in in total defense in the last few weeks. They are seemingly giving up points at will. They are not standing up to teams particularly well, especially against the pass. Still one of the better run defenses in the league, but against a pass, it's, it's really shoddy. Jordan Love looked like an MVP last week. So, you know, coming into this, it feels like two sides of the ball, for uh, you know, a side of the ball for either team that kind of needs to get right. And I think both sides would feel like they have the opportunities to do so here. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I mean, de- defensively, yeah, I mean, there's been some some plays that, you know, the Detroit Lions defense have given up. 
Uh, but, you know, they're a battle-tested team. I mean, to me, this is a team that doesn't give up. I mean, I think about the game against the Chicago Bears and the way that that game went. They could have easily, like, phoned it in, but they didn't. Like, they went and they fought and they got that victory. And, you know, when, when you're trying to learn how to win in the National Football League, you're going to have some up, ups and downs. You're going to have uh, some some plays that you wish that you had back. But that's just, you know – that's just the process. I mean, I, I look at what they have and they're only going to get better. I mean, you, 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 you've been drafting really well. Uh, you got some of your young players. They just need to develop. I mean, you look at uh branch. I mean, he's playing outstanding. I mean, you got all of these different talented players. They just need to develop. And you also just need to get some, uh, you know, some, some really good uh, drafts going. Um, I, I like the way that Detroit is incorporating young players, uh, combining that with free agency, I think that they're on the uptick. I just think that Detroit fans need to be a little bit patience when uh, patient when it comes to the defense. And but I, I think that they they will be susceptible to to the pass, in my opinion. I think they're going to be giving up some big plays. And yes, they're they're at that point where they probably have you uh, you know <laughs> throwing stuff or being frustrated about the way that they play. But that's just that's just the growing pains. That's just the ebbs and flows of the game while you're trying to figure out how to be an elite team. And right now, I mean, they're taking the right steps. Are there going to be games where you think that the Detroit Lions are are supposed to win and they, and they don't? Yes. I mean, that's just the art of winning. But um, I, I just think when you match these teams up together, I just feel like Detroit is way more structured. And I feel like I, would tr I trust them a lot more than I trust this New Orleans Saints team. Ash, some questions from you. So, yeah, as you said, obviously you feel like we're susceptible to the pass, which has kind of been proven right the past couple of weeks. I'm, you could see me vis uh, visibly should as I remember the first play of the Thanksgiving game. Yeah. And, but obviously that comes back to it again to Glenn. Is there something you can see that maybe it's a holdover from uh, his time with you guys? So I remember obviously that his first year as secondary coach, you were like 32nd against the pass. And then it's when you got Marshawn Lattimore, you started pumping resources into it, he's turned it around. Is there something with the kind of scheme that he likes to run? Because obviously I think it's still a holdover for what he runs at you for you guys with like the two high shell, uh, safety shells, corner, corner sort of mixing man and zone, which kind of to last year with heavy man, this time it's heavy zone, even though supposedly PFF say we're running more man last week, which I don't mm -hmm. agree with. Is there something that's a holdover from his uh, like the sort of New Orleans scheme that perhaps he he we just need to settle into here and just allow it to work and then eventually when he gets the resources it will work or is there actually cause concern and the fans who are already starting to maybe look around to see who we can place Glenn with because he's had three years with us we haven't seen that much improvement on the back end is there like is there smoke to that is there fire where there's smoke kind of thing yeah I think it is you know uh, one thing about uh, Aaron Glenn as a coach when he was with the Saints um, he was wasn't one of those guys that that yell in your face, and you know he he was a guy that that treated the players like adults. And sometimes I just feel like you know he didn't really hold a lot of the the members of the secondary accountable. There were a lot of times where I feel like the technique was pretty bad. You know, um, you know players didn't have their head turned around. If they did, they probably would have had interceptions. You know, it's just one of those situations where I just feel like he is who he is. Um, you're gonna take some good. Uh, you're gonna take some bad, uh, but I, I just think that based on the way I, I see the Lions secondary, that's what you're gonna get with Aaron Glenn. Um, so that, that's a decision that the Detroit Lions are gonna have to make. 
uh, in the offseason as well. Do they want to retain Aaron Glenn and go forward? To me, I, I feel like you're probably going to get the same thing because the way that you all are in the secondary when, when it comes to the defense is the same way the Saints was. You know, they, they gave up big plays, uh, a lot of uh, missed assignments, you know, blown assignments from time to time, uh, and, and also just bad technique. So to me, I, I feel like this is who Aaron Glenn is. I like him. I, I, I had opportunity to speak with him. He's a good person. Uh, you know, I, I can understand why players like him. But at the same time, I feel like there there's something missing there every time like uh he's uh his, his hand is you know somewhere near the defense the secondary of the new orleans saints that their, their numbers were really really low when it came to turnovers under his watch so that's something i feel like lion the lions organization needs to look at a couple more things to cover with you just before we finish because i know we're short on time first up we're going to do some keys to victory and then we're going to do score predictions so TJ, the way I frame this is maybe a bit different to some other people, just mm-hmm. because it's nice to be unique. So I want you to assume that the Saints have come away from the Superdome with a with maybe from what you're saying is maybe slightly a, an upset victory for the mm-hmm. New Orleans Saints. They come back to 500, maybe the Falcons slip up, you're in the lead in the NFC South again. Mm-hmm. If you beat the Lions on Sunday, how how did it happen? Like kind of script it up for us. What did the Saints do right to win this game? It will have to be Jared Goff had a game like the Chicago Bears, um, you know, where you're giving the offense uh, ample opportunities and the defense will have to play discipline. Um, you know, getting those turnovers, uh, you know, turn them into points. Maybe uh, if you get into the red zone four times, uh, maybe score two touchdowns. It would have to be uh, something like that. It would have to be uh, Jared Goff just has like one of those off games and uh, you all's running game, it's it just not being effective. So that that will be the keys to victory. I, I will have to say the short field because of what you all alluded to earlier about some of the injuries to the wide receiver position. You, you're not going to have Rashid Shahid out there. You're not going to have Michael Thomas. Uh, Chris Olave's status is up in the air right now. So you're actually dealing with a lot of young players. So that, that means that you're probably going to have some growing pains and some mistakes. So the, the defense is going to have to step up, create some short fields for the offense to be able to work. So that that would be the keys to victory and how the Saints will be able to pull off the upset. All right. And if we had to to get a score prediction out of you, how do you think it's going to go? Um, if I can get a score prediction, I would say that the Detroit Lions will score 27 and the Saints would score 17. Oh, wow. Uh, that that shocked me that you think it's going to be that far away. Do you think 10 points is is how it's going to go difference? Yeah, I, I really do because I, I look at I, I look at the Detroit Lions. Like I said, they they're offensively efficient, um, and I, I just feel like you know they're going to be able to execute. And it's probably going to be one of those games where I, I feel like the the Detroit Lions will have uh, control of the game for the majority of it. And then of course you're probably going to get some late game heroics uh, because the way that the Detroit Lions probably switch it up. Uh, maybe, you know, in, instead of them playing like a certain type of defense, they'll probably a, a lot of, you know, get a little softer. Uh, the Saints will probably take advantage of some of the soft spots in, in zone and they'll be able to matriculate the ball down the field, maybe score a touchdown. But, you know, to me, I just feel like when it's it all going to come down to coaching, uh, situational football and execution. And then you combine uh, the coaching staff of the Detroit Lions and also the fact that 
everybody expected for the Detroit Lions to take that extra step forward on Thanksgiving and it didn't happen. I feel like that's going to be more motivation on top of the fact that you're still in a race for uh, top position uh, or the number two spot with the San Francisco 49ers. So right now you can't afford to slip up. And I, I feel like this team is going to be dialed in and focused. And, uh, you know, if, if the Lions are dialed in and focused, they're already a really good football team. That's just going to make them even more effective. Your lips to God's ears, TJ. We're we're coming <laughs> to the end of our time, so why don't you why don't you let the fellas know where to come and follow you? Because you've been fantastic for the last couple of interviews we've had, so we, we need to get you some more follows. Uh, thank you so much, Matt Nash. I really do appreciate it. Uh, once again, my name is TJ Jones, the host of the State of the Saints podcast. You can follow me on X, formerly known as Twitter, at TJAY Jones Eight, and also you can check out the State of the Saints podcast on YouTube.com. Search the State of the Saints podcast. Fantastic. Thank you so much again, TJ. You've been fantastic. And hopefully we'll see you come draft time, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you all for having me. I really do appreciate it. And good luck on Sunday. You too. Cheers, TJ. Cheers. Cheers. All right, Ash. Couple more bits before we finish up here, perhaps. And first, we perhaps should start with our own keys to victory. So if the Lions are going to win this game, maybe it's the exact opposite of what TJ said. I don't know. But what, what do we need to do? Yep, pretty much all the words out of my mouth. Just limit the turnovers. This is a turnover forcing defense, and that's what we've done this past couple of weeks. And it's not been fun to see. We need sort of. I, I'm going to say the scary word. I'm going to say the scary word that might cause a few shows because we need to go back to fundamentals on offense. Ah! <laughs> I know, I know, I felt bad saying it, but we can't. It's two weeks. It might just be a slip up. If it's a third week where we turn over the ball multiple times, it becomes a trend. And that's worrying when, where we want to go this season. We want to be, at the end of the season, win the NFC North, host a playoff game and win it. If we keep turning the ball over, that comes into threat, especially when we come up against, for example, Dallas, who now have a player who has got the NFL record for most pick sixes in the, uh, a year with Deron Bland. They've got two playmaking corners. So have the Saints. We need to limit the turnovers. Use our weapons, though, because as we say, they're not so good against the run, but we can also pass them. We've got Amon Ra. They've spoke, uh, I know the Pride of Detroit preview they had with their reporter said they're vulnerable against tight ends. Sam Laporte again. There's ways for us to win on offense. And then on defense, it's just pressure got uh, car. I know Hutch and Naleem. We'll get to it. We just need someone else to step up. Just one more player. Because if we can have one player at least force a sack or two, hopefully like Charles Harris or something, just someone step up, then we've got a chance because we can take that into the future weeks. But it has to be this week. We start have to start and put in the foundations now because we're coming up to December. We're coming up to the real big boy time. This is where big boy football's played. This is not September anymore where everyone slip up. December, you're supposed to have your shit together and you're supposed to be driving. It's what happens usually for the Patriots. You remember, they would always stop kind of slow. They'd lose a couple of games. When it comes to December, they would be unstoppable. That's what we need to do now. So that's what I'm looking for. Just limit the turnovers, sack a car. And in terms of how you think it is going to go and your score prediction, what, what do you actually predict? Trying to work out, Ed. Lions 34, Saints 20. Wow, that is a lot of points against a team that doesn't give up much. Um, 
for myself, I mean, the guys have spoken very adequately about this matchup and, and what have you. So I'm not going to rehash any of that. But my score prediction, I do not see a lot of points. I see a game dominated by teams running the ball and kicking field goals. Right. I, I just think they're going to get a rehashing of the Falcons game with a Jared Goff scared to commit turnovers and goes hyper defensive, tries to throw the ball away a bit too quickly, checks down a bit too quickly. I think it's just going to be a sort of reactionary tale to that. And he'll start to build up his confidence again through that process because he's going through a rebuild right now. Two games, yeah. poor play, and... You can't expect him to come out firing. He's a, he's a, you know, he's got a strong backbone. He is very thick skinned. We've seen that throughout his Lions career. At the same time, you can't be immune to what's happened to him. So I think this is going to be like maybe a touchdown, two touchdowns to the Lions, one to the Saints, but more field goals for the Saints way. So maybe if I try and calculate that in my head, we're talking about a 20. 2019. 20, 23, yeah. yeah, 23, 20, 20, or 23, yeah. 19. Can I make 19 work? Four field goals and a touchdown? Yeah, yeah. 20, 23, 19. I just, I don't think either team's going to blow either one away. It's going to be close all the way. There will be periods of play where it feels like either team's in the ascendancy. I, I, I feel like it's going to be a frustrating game for both sets of fans. Yeah, yeah. I hope you, know, you can hear me sort of like visibly groaning. So like, I don't want. I want. That's my, maybe I am predicting. I am going a bit copium with a thirty-four, where I'm just like, the offense will come right. It will get out of this rutted team turning the ball over, and it will explode again because we know it can. It kept pace with the Chargers, but again, yeah, there is that scary bit where maybe it is becoming a trend, and yeah, maybe Goff does revert back to early twenty twenty-one Goff, where he's checking it down. I just. Have faith we have more playmakers to turn those five yard dump offs into stuff like Amaraz, Amarab, Lillicent Brown. He can probably take five yard ins and that for 90, uh, like eight receptions, 90 yards, and a touchdown. We've got Gibbs, who, if he makes a linebacker miss, he can force a big play. JMO, like we saw last last week with the crossing patterns, he can get involved. So maybe it's a bit copium that we have the playmakers to help Goff sort of dig himself out of that hole. So maybe, but I yeah, I can see I can see it going a number of ways. So long as it isn't just chip shot field goal city, and it is like a basic like a uh, tennis score where it's just like okay, we score fifteen, you score twelve, like got that kind of thing. I don't want that. I want actual touchdowns because I know yeah. obviously they struggle with touchdowns. We that's what we need to do. We need to be scoring touchdowns again. We do. Right. I'm going to close out the audio show there. After that, on YouTube and Twitch, still live, the guys there, please stay with us while we sign off here. We're going to be talking listener questions. We're going to be talking the rest of the week's action. Our next show will be, hopefully, a college football podcast looking back at the final game of the regular season and looking ahead to championship weekends where playoff hopefuls become solidified and where the pretenders become goners i don't really know how it's going to end that sentence, <laughs> they get found there out we go. The get, found. get found out there we go uh you can follow us on royal the lines uk on youtube twitch facebook instagram twitter and tiktok and the group for worldwide fans is detroit lions fans uk one pro worldwide the website rotluk.com find our articles there really good stuff done by ash all the way through the season please don't forget to subscribe and rate us five stars on your podcast provider and just a quick shout out to our fans 
through this calendar year, Spotify wrapped, and we do use Spotify to host our show, has come out with their stats for the year. And they have been just fantastic in the last 12 months. And let's just have a quick look again. So our listeners have gone up 46%. Our streams have gone up 132%. And our followers have gone up 80%. There are 204 fans that have us as a top 10 podcast in their feed. And 14 of those, we're the number one show for them. And like for a completely fan-led thing, that just tries hard to listen to as much as possible, watch as much as we can, and and give that back to you guys. The the love that you've given us in return has been absolutely fantastic. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that. And hopefully we'll see you for the live reaction show on Sunday, where we will hopefully be just watching a very smooth Lions victory. But for now, thanks for joining us for me, Ash. Let's go Lions One Pride. One Pride. <laughs> <laughs>